Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Luke 17, 1, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Jesus said it's impossible to live in this life and not encounter offense. Amen. He said they're coming. And since they're coming, we need to learn how to deal with them. Amen. Need to learn how to deal with these things. We discovered last week, and we'll just quickly read a couple of scriptures that we read last week. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn there real quickly if you would. 2 Corinthians 2. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not ignorant of his devices. That word devices could be translated uh, intentions or, or, or schemes. And he said we're not uh, we're not ignorant of his devices, and because we're not ignorant of his devices, then Satan can't take advantage of us. But you know, if we are ignorant of his devices, of his schemes, then he can take advantage of us. You know, the devil is not that big a, a, a dude. He's not that, he, he's, he's really no threat to the Christian. I said the devil is no threat to the Christian. If we only understood that the enemy is actually afraid of you. He's afraid of you acting, speaking, believing, thinking out of who you are in Christ. When you think and believe and act and behave and speak out of who you are in Christ... The devil is deathly afraid of that. That's why it says over in James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now you think about that. He didn't say defeat the devil. He didn't say do battle with the devil, you know, and try to overcome the devil. John 4, 4 says we are of God and have overcome him. Because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. We have overcome the devil. We're not, we, we did it together with Christ. When, the, when Jesus defeated the devil, we defeated the devil with him because somehow, and I don't know how, but somehow God placed us in what Jesus did. We were with him in his death, burial, resurrection, and his defeat of the enemy and his ascension and his seating at the right hand of the Father. And so the devil sees us just the, the same way he sees Jesus. But how did the devil try to come against Jesus in his earthly ministry? He came against him to try to get him to act out of or separate from who he really was. Isn't that right? Well, if the enemy... Uh, can he knows that if he can get us to act uh, apart from or are in uh, uh, conflict or are opposite who we really are and what's really been done for us, then he he knows he can do, he can keep us defeated. 
But if we resist him according to the truth of God's word, he, the Bible says resist him and he will flee. And that word flee has the connotation in the original Greek of someone running as in terror, deathly, deathly afraid. And so we need to keep our understanding right that that's how the devil really looks at us. And so again, if we, if we are aware of his devices, of his schemes, then we, we maintain the advantage. But if we're not aware of, if we are ignorant of or not alert to his devices and his schemes, then he will slip in and trip us up and deceive us into giving up what, we, what is rightfully ours. That's why Paul in, in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, he said, give the devil no opportunity. Give him no place. Well, that means he doesn't have a place unless we give it to him. Amen. So the, the enemy has devices and we are not to be ignorant of them. And if we will be informed and alert to these things, then we will be at the advantage and not the devil. Now go on over to Ephesians 6. We quoted from Ephesians 4, but Ephesians 6 gives us a little more insight. In verse 10 of Ephesians 6, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord, not strong in yourself. Strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How do you do that? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. That word wiles means Crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. Crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. Trickery. You know, all through the Bible, the devil is, is described and identified as a deceiver. Isn't that right? Every, if we see the first time we see him in the Bible, he comes as a deceiver. And what did he do? He tricked Eve. He made suggestions, suggestions to her using the natural desires of the flesh to get her to act out away from and apart from what God said. Isn't that right? If, if Eve had not fallen for his trickery, then she would not have fallen for his, his scheme. And, uh, you know, if no one else had fallen for it, we'd still be in the Garden of Eden. Amen. So he has, he has trickery, he has schemes, and the, the way we are able to stand against those things is to put on the whole armor of God. And so he tells us about the different uh, 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 aspects of that, of that armor. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against pow- principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, some people have taken that verse and interpreted it to mean that we're engaged in some kind of a life and death battle, that we have to, that we have to enter into uh, warfare and battle with the enemy and engage him and defeat him. But remember, he said, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
for we wrestle not against. One translation says our struggle or our opposition is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Well, well what, what, is, what is in the arsenal of these principalities and powers, these evil spirits? What do they have? They have wiles. They don't have anything, they don't have anything greater than the devil has. They take their uh, marching orders from the devil. They're lesser in, in rank than Satan is, and all he has is wiles. Well, that's all they have. So our wrestling against, against, not against flesh and blood, not against people, because have you ever noticed how the devil tries to use people to cause you to act apart from who you are in Christ? Well, he does that in order to trick us, to try to get us to step away from who we are and start acting out of the natural, out of the flesh, and, and out of in response to his trickery. That's the way these evil spirits operate. Amen. Uh, one of Satan's main schemes is tricking people into being offended. I said one of Satan's main schemes is tricking people into being offended. It's one of, of the devil's most deceptive and insidious schemes. Uh, you know, it's interesting that people recognize certain sins as being inherently wrong and to be avoided. I was thinking about this today and I thought, you know, I thought of how I could illustrate this. And I thought, you know, I won't do this, but uh, I'll just tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking, if I, if I ask how many people in here... Uh, have ever been tempted to lust at the opposite sex? Raise your hands. Probably a few people, probably a few, you know, bold people would raise them, but a lot of people would feel uncomfortable about that. I'm not raising my hand. People will think I'm a creep. <laughs> if I ask how many people in here have ever been tempted to look at pornography. You know, all the men in the church would just look straight away, just straight forward, not, not have any expression, not register any expression, like they don't know what I'm talking about. But every man in here knows what I'm talking about. But we don't want to acknowledge certain things because we don't want people to think there's something wrong with us because we know certain things are inherently wrong. But people will... will yield to the temptation to be an offense and instead of, of it being abhorrent, they celebrate it and go out and tell other people that they're offended. You've never had anybody get on the phone and say, you know what, I, I was walking down the street the other day and I saw this beautiful woman. Oh man, I just burned for her. <laughs> Woo, she turned me on and I just... You never hear anybody say anything like that. But they'll call people on the phone and say, I just want you to know so-and-so just hurt my feelings so bad. And, and, and I'm just, I, I'm telling you what, I'm just so hurt. And just advertise their offense. It's because we think some things are sinful and other things, well, we know we're not supposed to do them, but offense 
is one of the devil's primary strategies to keep us out of what God has for us, to keep us sidelined, to keep us ineffective, ineffectual, and so that we don't enjoy the blessings of God and we don't enter into the things that he has for us. And and by doing that, he keeps us from being other people entering into things. How many of you know that other people's blessings are tied to you and I doing what we're called to do? Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So, like I said last week, you know, by most people's admissions, by, by if you just listen to people's comments, hardly no one is ever offended. Because you ever ask anybody, well, well brother, are you offended? Oh, no, now I'm not offended. I just want to tell you about something, you know, that's going on, but I'm not offended. And so almost nobody is offended because no, everybody says they're not offended. Well, then why is, why, why did Jesus say it's impossible that offenses, that the other, it's impossible that offenses not come? No, they come. Amen. People just don't want to, to acknowledge it. Well, what does offense look like? How, how does, how, you know, how can you tell if you're offended? Well, if you're hurt, you're probably offended. You know, people don't like to admit that their feelings are hurt because it just sounds wimpy. I mean, it just sounds ridiculous. Well, bless your darling little heart. Your feelings are hurt. That just, sounds, that just sounds weak. No one wants to admit that. But we will say sometimes, you know, so-and-so, it's, it's not that my feelings are hurt. I'm a big boy. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big girl. I'm a big, I'm, I, I don't get my feelings hurt. But so-and-so, you know, what they did really hurt me. And sometimes things are very hurtful. People can do some things that are very hurtful. You might want, not want to admit that your feelings are hurt, but you're hurt. Well, the feeling of hurt is not offense. The feeling when it comes to you that someone's done something to you that's, that's hurtful, that's not, that's not, that is offense, but it's not taking offense. Offense is, is, uh, uh, is no danger until you pick it up, begin to operate with it, and you begin to nurse it, and you begin to yield to it. That's when offense becomes dangerous because Jesus said, you know, it's gonna come. Amen. So when people find themselves nursing hurt, someone's done something that's, that's really a, a hurtful thing, and you, begin to, and you begin to nurse that, and you begin to take that hurt, and you begin to own that, well, you've become, you've taken offense now. You've become offended. Amen. Sometimes offense looks like just bad feelings towards somebody. You know, I told you last week about a, a pastor that, that I had gotten offended at because uh, we had a conversation on the phone and he, and he said some real mean and nasty things to me and, and really just made me mad. I mean, by the time we got through talking, I just couldn't believe it. I said, I can't believe this guy said this. And, uh, and so for a while, I, I, I didn't catch it as soon as I should. But I noticed that any time that man's name 
or, or the, just, the, just his picture, just his face would come in front of me. I was just like, ugh. Just, just don't feel right. Well, that's offense. If there's anybody that when their face or the mention of that person, someone brings them up and it comes up to you and it causes a, a, uh, uh, a bad feeling, an ill feeling, an Ill will, Ill, Ill will toward that person, that's offense. And you're offended. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Easily finding fault with someone. When, when there are people that are certain individuals that uh, it seems that anything they do irritates you. And, it, and, and you find yourself, and maybe you're not even paying attention to it, but, but I'm telling you these things so that we can judge ourselves. If, you, if there are people that just, it seems like anything they do, you're just right quickly, you're ready to pick it apart, to find fault with them especially when other people are finding good. I mean, if it's an individual that, that most people are, are uh, proud or, you know, glad to be friends with, they think, the, think kindly and highly of somebody, but every time you think of them, it's, you know, you, you, have, you, you have areas where you just want to pick at them. That's an indication that you're offended. Hallelujah. I, uh, you know, resentment, resentment, just, you know, when you just resent people, again, this part of that ill will, you just, you just anything that happens uh, in their lives that's good, you, you, you know, you, you don't like it, you're resentful. And uh, thinking snide thoughts about someone. Now, it's one thing to have thoughts occur to you. <laughs> Thoughts, you know, somebody said thoughts are, are like, uh, you know, uh, birds. You know, they, they, you can't control birds flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And, you know, thoughts can come into your mind, but when you give place to snide, you know what a snide thought is? You know, just a contemptuous, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. A, a, a few years ago, not too long ago, a woman that Angela in the church that uh, Angela had been working with, uh, this, this person had some attitude problems. You know, in, in the church, we're not talking about outside the church, but, but when this woman was here. And so Pastor Angela talked to her about it and said, you know, you, you need to straighten out your attitude. It's, you know, it's, it's not right concerning the church and concerning people in the church. Well, I don't know if that's what was the cause of it, but this woman uh, eventually told, told, told Pastor Angela, she said that every time Pastor Angela, she said Pastor Angela never gives anybody else an opportunity to minister in tongues. And that every time Pastor Angela would give a message in tongues and I would interpret, this person said, she would say to herself, yep, there she goes again. Now, when this person told this to Angela, you know, Angela told me about it and, and it affected Angela. She said, well, and she, she actually contemplated stepping back 
and just not yielding to the Holy Ghost. She said, well, if people, you know, think that way, I don't want to offend people, you know. And, and I said, listen, I said, you, you need to obey God and do exactly what the Holy Ghost tells you to do. I said, besides the fact that particular woman, uh, as far as I can remember, has never given a message in tongues, has never given an interpretation, has never given a prophecy, and has had ample opportunities. I've encouraged people and never stepped out, and yet she wants to criticize you because you're hogging the show. That was her complaint that Pastor Angel was hogging things. Well, you know, I said, no, honey, you're going to continue to obey God, do just exactly what the Holy Ghost gives you to do. Because, you see, that is an illustration of someone who's offended. Now, she had the, the, the lack of wisdom to actually say what she thought. And, and that's, that's, that's another problem. Saying things that you ought not say is another category of sin. Okay? But allowing snide and contemptuous ideas about people to come into your mind and, and nurturing them. Is there anybody that when you see them or you hear about them or they do something? And I, and I don't think anybody is doing this, Drew. I'm just, I just saw you. I wasn't thinking about you until just now. If when Drew gets up to play on the keyboard, if there's somebody here that says, here goes Drew again. You know, he, 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 he can't decide which instrument he wants to play. He goes from the keyboard to the, to the organ. And, you know, if you, if you have and you entertain thoughts like that, you're probably offended at Drew. Amen. I'm just trying to help you identify because so many people say they're not offended. And we know it's a big problem, but nobody ever seems to, to think it's them. If you're overly suspicious of somebody... Always questioning their motives. Always wondering if there's uh, something else going on. And you just suspect things aren't right. And, and now, if you're suspicious of everybody, you've really got a suburb problem, a big problem. But if there is some person, a particular person, and you're not suspicious of everybody, but you're just suspicious of that person. Now, if, if there's some justification to it, you say, well, everybody is justified in their own eyes. Well then, well, then, if it's just, then why aren't other people feeling the same way? Amen? But if there's somebody that you're just overly suspicious of, and, uh, and, you, and you just question everything that they do. You're probably offended. Well, amen. Like I said, jealousy is a sign of, uh, and envy is a sign of, of uh, offense. Of course, anger. See, a lot of people feel like, well, I'm not offended because I'm not angry. You know, the veins aren't popping out in my, in my neck and my forehead. You know, not, I'm not red in the face. And I, and I don't hate that person. I don't hate them. Well, obviously, if you hate somebody, you're offended at them. And if you're upset and angry with them, then you're, you're offended. But a lot of times, it's a whole lot more subtle than that. Well, amen. How, how, how is offense expressed and what are its consequences? It's often expressed in insults. 
whether public or private. Amen. You know God knows what goes on in private. He's more knowing than Facebook. He knows more than Facebook. Amen. And if you find yourself or you're giving, given to just without even thinking about it, just there are people that you just, at any opportunity, you just want to put in a dig. Just put a dig. Just put that, you know, just plant that little, you know, just kidding. You're probably offended. Well, glory. Isn't this fun? Uh, attacks, like I said, public or private. Accusations, unwarranted. And its consequences are division. Amen. Division of families. Division of relationships. Separation between people. Broken Relationships betrayals, and ultimately backsliding. I have noticed that people who are given to offense, and if they get, they don't have to be offended over a lot of people. They can just, a person can, can seemingly not be a person given to, you know, some people are just touchy. Have you ever met, can we just, without looking around the room, can we just acknowledge that some people are just touchy? Some people are just touchy. But, and, and so they easily take offense. But I've noticed, and you know, I've been doing this for, for 36 years almost, you know, I've been pastoring. I've noticed that when, when, a, when someone gets offended and takes that, the, the, the scriptures call, calls it a root of bitterness. That root can get inside somebody and start growing. Just about one person. And they can be sweet to everybody else. And just and let a root of bitterness, something, something get planted in there. The enemy planted a seed. And they nurture that and nurture that. I've seen it separate them from, from people that they love. I've seen it break up families. I've seen it separate people from their church. I've seen it, I've seen it separate longtime friends. And I've seen it ultimately lead to backsliding. People get separated from, from the hand of God on their life and people backslide over this sort of thing. Well, amen, it's true. Offended people, I, make, I think I made this comment last week, fall into, into one of two categories, those who have been treated unfairly and those who believe they've been treated unfairly. And it really doesn't matter if they have been or not. If you think you've been treated unfairly, if, listen, if you think you've been treated unfairly, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. That's not the issue. If you think you've been treated unfairly, be on guard. Be on guard because you've been set up to be offended. If the person actually treated you unfairly, it's still a setup. And if they didn't treat you unfairly, it's a setup. The enemy wants to trip you up into being offended. Amen. Like I said, a lot of times things happen that uh, 
we think, we, we're certain they happened a certain way and someone was intentional and sometimes that what they did was not intentional. They didn't mean any, anything uh, bad by it and sometimes people aren't even aware of it. I know I've given this story in this illustration so many times, the time that Amy, you know, after she and Greg were, were first married, uh, hadn't been married just a few months, uh, Leslie was, you know, had the, had, she was just opening Scooper's ice cream shop and Amy, we were all down there kind of, you know, helping get the, the business ready to open, you know, I think in the next couple of days. And I was down there, Pastor Angela was down there, Greg was down there, Amy was down there. There were several people in there helping in the kitchen, different things. And, and uh, I walked into the, I walked out of the kitchen. I was in the, in the back and I walked out of the kitchen and, and Amy was, was facing a wall. She had her back to me and she was washing a mop. And so uh, I walked past her and to, to leave the, the back of you know, the kitchen to go out into the, into the uh, dining area. And Greg had, was walking into the kitchen and we passed right behind Amy. We passed, you know, passed each other and Amy didn't see the one of us. Well, when Greg walked by, he, he reached down and, and pinched her on the behind. And... He walked this way, he pinched her on the right side. He was walking to her left. Well, she naturally turned to the right side. And who did you see? <laughs> she saw me. Greg, thank God, he turned around to see Amy's reaction to him, you know, pinching her on the butt. So he turned around to see her expression and he saw her turn the opposite way and see me. And he said she did like this. She went, <gasps> went, back to, <laughs> went back to washing her mop, never looked in his direction. And, and I walked out and went into the dining room and sat down, minding my own business, completely innocent. Greg turns around, he thought it was funny. So he leaves, he goes, he didn't say anything to her, he goes back out in the, into the dining room, I'm sitting there, and he comes out laughing, and he's, eyes. Ah, I said, what are you laughing at? He said, you'll never believe what just happened. And he told me what had happened and what he saw. I said, Greg Anderson, you get up right now, and you go in there, and you straighten your wife out, and you tell her what happened. And of course he did, and, 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 and I guess they had a big laugh, I don't know, uh, but I thought about that so many times. What if Greg hadn't turned around and to see Amy's reaction? What if he hadn't? He would not have known that Amy, you know, obviously thought that I had pinched her, I'd touched her. And uh, it could work one of two different ways. Now, Amy and, and Greg hadn't been married very long. She was my daughter-in-law, of course, and, and, uh, but I'm also her pastor. And that's just real complicated. And I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, it obviously upset her, freaked her out. Maybe she would have told Greg, honey, I've got something to tell you. But... I know my daughter-in-law. And, and, you know, yes, this happened, but 
she knows that Greg loves his dad, looks up to his dad. I'm not sure, at least right away, if she had said anything. She might not have ever said, and it's all hypothetical at this point, but if there's a good case to make that she would have never said anything. And so the story could have never been corrected. And how awkward would Amy be around me? And now see, in her mind, if given that scenario, in her mind, she knows it happened. She, you know, you know when you're not, you know when you're a, something happens you're not imagining, you know. She felt it. She turned and there I was. In her mind, in her mind, I did it. When in fact, I didn't do it. She has every physical, intellectual, uh, uh, reality given uh, uh, reason to absolutely think it happened and be, and be convinced that it happened. I, I probably would never know about it. How, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I'm just glad that Greg turned around and saw her. My point is a lot of times we are absolutely convinced that somebody did something and that he did something intentionally because you have the evidence but I'm telling you, Amy had evidence. She had compelling, physical, mental. She felt it. She saw me. Two and two was four. She had evidence. So what I'm saying is uh, a lot of times uh, we're, we're convinced someone has done something. Maybe they have or maybe they haven't. Amy would have thought that I, Amy did think I did it, but I didn't. I was, I, obviously the thought never entered my mind. Uh, sometimes things happen and we know they happen and we assign motives to people and we think, well, surely they did this, you know, uh, with bad intent. A lot of times there was no intent at all. Most often uh, offense occurs when someone close to us has hurt us or, or, uh, or we think they have. Go with me over to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. Psalm 55, verse 12 says, 55, Psalm 55, 12, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me. For if it is not an enemy who reproaches me, excuse me, for if, for it, excuse me, for it is, I can't read here, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who is exalted to set himself against me, then I could hide from him. Or in other words, I could just avoid him. You know, if somebody hates you, that's the best thing to do, just avoid them. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throne. You see, the closer somebody is, the closer the relationship, the more severe the offense. It's true. It can be uh, someone in your own home, a spouse. You know, if you know uh, uh, any attorneys, they'll tell you that Divorce lawsuits are the meanest of all kinds of law. Not, not all of them, 
But divorce lawsuits can be especially mean. Why? It's because they were someone who, who was close. Someone you feel vulnerable to. Someone that you shared everything with. I'm telling you, we need to be on the lookout for relationships that are the closest to us. We can be offended by people we don't know and, and don't care much about, but usually not very much. We just, you know, something, it's more of an irritation than anything else. But when you have something, uh, when you have uh, committed yourself to somebody and they've committed themselves to you and there's a sharing of lives and hearts, I tell you what, that's fertile ground. That's fertile ground for offense and the enemy loves to get in there. Like I said, it can be a spouse, it can be a, a close family member, it can be a brother or sister in Christ. Because, you know, we're family. And we're closer to one another. And we, and we commit ourselves to one another uh, in, in a greater degree than we do with people that are, that are not in the body of Christ, and particularly in our own church family. Amen. There's a, there's a relationship of trust. And relationships of trust are, are areas where the devil loves to get in and cause offense, trick us into being offended. Amen. The relationship between a pastor and, and his congregation is a relationship of trust. And the enemy, uh, anything that, that happens like that, any kind of an, of an offense in, a, in any of these categories is seen as a betrayal of that trust. And that's what makes it so egregious. That's what makes it so hurtful. Amen. Family and home is often the arena of, of severe betrayal. Civil, civil wars are the bloodiest and ugliest of all wars because so often it's brother against brother, father against son, and sometimes they're, they're just horrible. Amen. Well, we need to take heed to ourselves and look carefully. That's what he said in Hebrews, looking carefully lest any root of bitterness springing up uh, trouble us, and many then are are affected by that. We need to look careful. We need to be careful about these things. Well, amen. Go with me over to. Before we do that, go back to uh, Luke chapter seventeen. Luke seventeen. Let's look at this. This is important to point out. Luke seventeen one. Then he said to his disciples, "It is impossible." that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. The word there that's translated offenses in the Greek is the word skondalon, skondalon. We would, in the English, the closest word to that is scandal. That's, in fact, that's where the word, English word scandal comes from. It comes from this Greek word skondalon. And it actually refers to the bait that's placed inside of a trap. Where you, it's like when you're trapping animals. So generally in the Greek, the word was used of a trap, an ensnarement. And it doesn't that, isn't that exactly what the enemy does? He tricks us. He tries to ensnare us. Well, the, 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 the scandalon means the trap generally, but specifically, it's the bait that's inside the trap. That's what it is. It's 
literally referring to the bait that's placed. You know, if there's a trap, there's a place that you place the, the bait. Well, that bait, you know, both of those things require uh, that it be hidden and that it come as a surprise. Isn't that right? I mean, you, you hide the trap someplace where it's not obvious, but then you put the bait in there to allure uh, the animal and the animal forgets all about his, his in, environment and the fact that he's walking into a trap completely, completely escapes him because he can smell that bait. And because he smells that bait, he'll do something that he wouldn't ordinarily, he'll go into a, a, a confined space that he wouldn't ordinarily go into. Well, that's the way the enemy lays the, the trap for us where offense is concerned. Now, go with me over to 2 Timothy. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy. And let's go to the second chapter. Verse 22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The older King James says taken captive by him at his will. And I've looked into the, the, uh, uh, the case for which way it's, it's translated and there are certain tra- um, manuscripts that read one way and the other transcripts that, that have just a slightly different word and it doesn't alter uh, the, the overall meaning of the passage. But I think there's some merit for both of these. Which one was the original? I don't know. But I know that when we... When we fall prey to the snare of the enemy, then he takes us captive at his will. And he takes us captive to do his will. Amen. And uh, pride often keeps us from admitting an offense. Because like I said last week, the, we know when we read the scripture, we won't turn to it, that the devil transforms himself into a messenger of light. And so very often when the enemy sets a trap for us and we fall into it, one of the things that enters in is he presents it as if it's an enlightenment. You have, you are enlightened about a person. No one else really understands how, how, how dark they really are. Other people think they're wonderful, but you've been enlightened. You see, the, the enemy presents offense in a prideful way. You know more than other people. If people only knew, if they only knew, that's part of Satan's, that's part of his trap. What about that scripture says that love believes the best of every person? Yeah, but I don't think that applies in this case. 
You know, that's what most people, that's how most people get around most scriptures. Yeah, it's true, but not this time. Not in this situation. Well, praise the Lord. I, uh, I want to close. Glory to God. We'll pick up here next week. Amen. We're going to keep the door closed to offense. And, and, and I'm not trying to make people uncomfortable, but if I can identify what it looks like, you know, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and, and, and swims like a duck, it's probably a duck. Well, if it looks and acts and sounds and behaves like this, it's a fence. Amen. And, uh, and you know, the best thing is to, to not get offended over me pointing out a fence. I mean, that would really be bad, wouldn't it? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Is God good? Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.